0: Today, our one another passage is found in a letter written to all the churches in the city of Rome at the time. And most of the churches, they wouldn't quite look like this. They didn't have buildings to meet in because they were just just starting out. They were leaving the Jewish faith because they were getting kicked out of that because they claimed Jesus is the Messiah. And they started to meet in homes because there's nowhere else to meet or just meeting out in the open air in public because uh, they would have to do that with... with very large numbers that would start to gather, but Paul writes to all the different little house churches and groups that are meeting in Rome, and uh, he shares with them uh, his, his gospel. And the letter's a fascinating letter if, you, if you've if you ever read it through all of the book of Romans in your Bible. Uh, some think of it as a, just a big heavy doctrine book, where because all that it's talking about there seems pretty like Confusing. He's talking about doing things that he doesn't want to do and then the things that he doesn't want to do. And, and it, it feels like it's a little confusing at times. But what I, the way I see that book is that it is his, his big telling of the gospel, of how we get to know God, how God has reconciled us to himself. He starts out at the beginning of that book by pointing out that God alone is righteous. God alone is holy. He's the only one who is able to judge right and wrong. He's the only one that is able to label what is sin and not sin, and talk about our sinful nature and how we are actually far from him. He talks about that in the first four chapters. And then he looks at how we are justified and sanctified by God into this new relationship with him. We left the relationship as humans, and God reconciles us and brings us back into that relationship, that new, that new covenant through Jesus, Now we are made new in him. And he talks about that in chapters 5 to 8. And then he retraces, in the next few chapters from 9 to 11, he retraces Israel's rebellion, how Israel was set out to be a chosen people that were going to be an example to the world, that God was going to use them in order to say, this is what it looks like to follow me, And through them, the Messiah is going to come to make all of you be able to come into this big family of God. But he talks about the rebellion and how they didn't live up to that standard, but it was all part of how God was showing us that we need a Messiah and how in his sovereignty, God saves us. And then the last four chapters from 12 to 16, His focus is on how we are supposed to live out this new reality. How are we supposed to exist as His children? If we've been reconciled to Him and are following Him, what does that look like, to live as His children, as new creation? And the passage that we're looking at today starts right at the beginning of that last section, chapter 12. He's written this gospel in this grandiose fashion, and is pivoting again to teach how it should affect our behavior. And in these teachings, when he, get, when he switches from his theology side of it to the practical lessons, it switches from big talking points to very short and concise uh, advice. And maybe we need that because to practice daily habits, we need very practical, simple things to follow, don't we? Because we, we like to complicate things. And God makes it very simple and easy, very uncomplicated for us to follow so what does it look like again throughout this series we need to keep in mind this that the gospel has the power to save and the gospel has the power to change and if we understand and accept that we must assent that we are in full submission to God that he is God and we are not And so that all of our actions after that are then a reflection of our our relationship with a God who loves us, cares for us, has made us new, and asks us to love him back. All of our actions are bent towards that. And as we grow in God, our obedience to God should grow as well. Our understanding of how to hear God's voice through Scripture and through the Spirit It should make us and lead us to become closer. Like Pastor Jason said last week, the gap between what Jesus looks like and what we look like starts really big, but as we walk with him, it should get narrower and narrower and narrower as we more and more reflect the image of Christ. It's a process that if you were a theologian, you would say that is sanctification. That is the working out of our faith so that we reflect Jesus better. And today we want to look at this. We want to look at how we are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 12, 10. I'm going to try and attempt it to say it in the Greek, the original Greek, where it says, Ho Philadelphia e Salelus, aleleus, I know, eh? Good job, eh? I, I learned that just for you today, all right? I am not fluent in Greek or Hebrew. Um, those are amazing languages to know in order to study God's Word, but thanks to Strong's Concordance, I can figure these things out. And it's important. I, I'm going to get back to why I, I told you those terms in Greek. Greek or in a bit, but in terms of our behavior, there's there there's these one another's that are specifically talking about how we view and act towards other believers, and there's our passages that talk about how we're supposed to love and uh, honor the lost, including those that are hostile to us, and those ones are they're no easier than how do we love other fellow believers. All you have to do is just keep reading Romans 12, the rest of Romans 12, and you'll see what he talks about when he says how to love those that mistreat you, those that persecute you, and everything like that. But this specific passage is talking about how do we love each other? How do we honor each other as brothers and sisters in Christ? And I think the best way for us to look at this passage and truly understand it is to look at it through the lens of three questions. The first one is, what is God really asking of us? What does it really mean to love one another and honor one another? What is he really asking us? Second question is, why is he asking us to do the specific things that he says? And then the third question is, how are we supposed to do that? What is God saying? Why is he saying it? And how are we supposed to do it? right? Because it's all about our obedience, our loving response to God for what he's done for us. So question number one, what is God asking of us in this passage? Well, the word that Paul uses to communicate devotion to one another in brotherly love is a word that we find only in this instance in the Bible. Nowhere else in the Bible is this phrase used to talk about our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And what God is asking us to do is to love our brothers and sisters in Christ with the same love that we reserve for only our family. Being born again, the term that we use, like when Jesus used when he was talking to Nicodemus, the the Pharisee, when they're on the rooftop at night and he's saying, you must be born again. When we use that term, it means that we are born again in Christ. We are born again in God. And when we do so, we become a part of a new family. We are vastly different than who we were before. God wants us to share that familial love with those that are also born again. And this isn't in a compulsory way, but with a sincere love. That we don't do so because we have to. Oh, the Bible tells me I have to love you. So I'm, I love you. It's not like that. God doesn't want us to love like that. Because you don't turn to your brother, your sister, your mother, your father that are in your family and just in air quotes go, I really love you. You don't do that. Even if your family is broken and it, you don't have a great history, you don't use air quotes to talk about your love. There's something that's deeper there, that even in the midst of your brokenness with your relationships, even when they're toxic around you, there's a love there. Even when you fight with them, there's a love there that says, no, that's still my brother, my sister, my my family. And he asks us to have that same love. Closely tied to this, Paul says that we're supposed to love each other, or sorry, we're supposed to honor each other above whatever honor we think we deserve, which is crazy. Some versions uh, uh, write it this way, to outdo each other with honor. Again, Paul uses a word here for honor, and if I look it up, uh, look back up to what I was saying before, it's proegumenoe. I know, you, you don't have to know that word, but that word again is a different word used for honor because this word for honor is tied into, it, its meaning brings forth a slightly different meaning because it's attached to the idea that honor and value is placed on what, it, uh, what something was bought or sold for, the price that something was bought or sold for, right? So if you buy something and it's worth so much money, you treat it like it's worth so much money, right? Now, we may be taken a little bit aback by that because we're like, we're humans, right? We don't buy and sell people. There's no value on that, right? But if we, if we stop and we think about what Christ says for, of us, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says that we were bought with a price, and that price is Jesus himself. Think of that. The way you're supposed to honor, and I'm supposed to honor you, and you're supposed to honor each other, and we're all supposed to honor each other as the body of Christ, is to look at each other and say, you were bought with the blood of Jesus. That's the value that you have. The value of Christ. And that's the level of honor I'm supposed to give you. The level of on- the honor we're supposed to have for each other is to see them with the value of Christ. That person who annoys you, who you walk down the other aisle of the church to avoid on a Sunday morning, the person you sit on the opposite side of the sanctuary from because you, you just need, you need to, that's the person that we're supposed to see and look at and say, they have the value of Christ. That's tough, isn't it? It's hard sometimes to see this and, and believe this and, and then walk it out. Before we think that we're just supposed to sit back and wait for that honor, we're supposed to wait in expectation of somebody to treat us this way. and go like, I know I know you, but you have to give me the honor because you're supposed to value me like you see Christ. And I'm just going to wait and sit back and just revel in you coming along and giving me honor. Paul asks us to be the initiators. That it's almost like a competition is to see who can out-honor the other. That we're supposed to just it's kind of keep, keep leveling up. You want to shine my shoes? I'm going to shine your shoes and I'm going to go sneak out into the parking lot and, and wax your car while you're here. You know, it's always upping the ante as far as how much honor I can give you. Not again to, to earn anything, to look like you're the most, you know, honor giving, but because you see them and you say, man, do I ever see Christ in your eyes? Man, when I look into your face, boy, do I see the face of Jesus because His blood covers you. His righteousness covers you and I can't help but see you. When I see you, I see Him. And how, what would I do for Him? What would I do for Him? What would I stop at? What, where, where would I stop short and say, Jesus, I'm going to honor you, but y- you asked for too much on that one. There's nothing there's nothing that we wouldn't do to honor Jesus. What a high level he's asking us to live to. To be devoted to, follow, to loving followers of Jesus' as brothers and sisters, outdoing each other and giving honor that we think is only reserved for Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Treating them better than we think they deserve because whoever wants to be first should be last. Okay, so why does God do this? Why does he ask us to honor each other like this, to be at such a high level of honor? Why does he ask us to do that, to treat others the way we want to treat him? Now, some of you may be fine with, well, the Bible says so, so I got to do it. And if your faith is that great, I absolutely, absolutely adore you that you can just say, see it written and go like, I'm doing it. That's so simple. For others, we're like, I need to know why. Because Christ sits on the throne of heaven, and why do I have to look at other people who are never going to sit on that throne and say, you deserve honor like that? Why do I need to do it that way? Why can't I just give you almost that amount of honor, right? I think God has a few reasons that we can see in His character that shed light on his motives. Number one, I think that God expects love and honor between us because being born again spiritually means that our new life reflects the nature he has given us. If we're born again and we reflect his nature, then our actions should reflect his nature. And the Bible repeatedly shows us how God loves us and values us and honors us and serves us. 1 John 5, 1 says, everyone who loves the Father loves whomever has been born of Him. Notice how He doesn't say we instantaneously become lovely, but that we love all those who are in Him just like He loves us. Number two, God expects us to love and honor one another because it brings Him Glory. Ephesians 4:32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. When we love and honor, we reflect the way Christ has treated us, and in that he is glorified. I know I'm cheating here by taking another one another there. Using one, maybe we'll talk about it later in the summer. But what does it say in Matthew 5 16? So we let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and what glorify our Father which is in heaven. Number three, I think that God expects us to love and honor one another because it builds each other up. There's so many times in the New Testament where we're called to build each other up and to edify the church, which is us. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 14, 12 and 26. How much is the church family encouraged when we love and we honor each other, when we speak, uh, or sorry seek to outdo each other in honor? Have you ever felt worse when somebody came and, and pumped up your tires? When somebody came along and told you how amazing you were, how awesome you were, and they looked to serve you in some way, did you ever walk away from that defeated? No. Did you ever walk away from that thinking that you were less worthy than somebody else? No. Did you ever think of it thinking that your faith is diminished because of that? No. It's usually the opposite, isn't it? You look at it and go, like, I cannot believe I'm a part of such a body that that loves each other so fully and so sacrificially. What an amazing thing to be a part of. You go, wow, my faith is built up because somebody esteems me and views me in this way with such honor and such, such, they they just value me and lift me up. They see something in me that in my own image I fail to see sometimes. They see me maybe the way that God sees me. They build your faith up. Nobody leaves a moment of honor feeling less than. And today, this morning, most of you weren't here, but we saw a beautiful moment where one of somebody in this group honored somebody else in the group and just lifted them up. And all that were present could feel that. Even though they may not have been the one being honored, they were all just like, wow, I'm bringing flowers next week. I'm showing somebody that honor because that just changes the atmosphere. Number four, God demands that we love one another and honor each other in order to save a lost and broken world. 2 Corinthians 5 gives us a ministry of reconciliation. Just give me a second here. And that ministry of reconciliation is is also, we could look at it and, and use a different terminology. We could say it's reuniting a lost and broken world with its Savior. God has given us that task on on his behalf. He is no longer present in, in physical form here saying, the kingdom has come. And he says, tag, you're it. Go everywhere saying, the kingdom has come. God is here. Salvation has come. And it's here for you. He's given us that ministry. And Jesus told his disciples in John, 1335 what did he say to them he said that they meaning the lost they will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another it's probably another one i'm stealing from a future week but god wants us to love and honor one another so that the world looks and sees something completely different than what they're offering not a counterculture that says you're wrong and you're bad and you're whatever, but a counterculture that says we found Jesus and Jesus changes everything and he can change it for you too. So with clear minds and the hearts, we see what God is saying and why God wants us to love one another and, and be like family and outdo one another in honor. So what's left is the how. How are we supposed to do it? What does it look like for us to to do this? The easy answer is, well, the Bible says how. We can just look at the Bible, read the Bible, and it's just full of how we're supposed to live out this life with each other. But today, in this moment, that doesn't help because you're not going to be able to read the Bible during the rest of the message. To be someone who loves one another outdoes one another in honor, you need to know that God commands it. It is to be a part of your character as a follower of Jesus. It's supposed to mark you as a follower of Jesus, your love for one another and your honor of each other. That it's impossible to actually do it without the Holy Spirit. So you need to pray that the Holy Spirit would do whatever he needs to do in your life today so that you can look through the lens of Jesus and love your brothers and sisters and honor them. Because in the natural, it's completely impossible. In the natural, we're gonna fight against each other. We're gonna gossip about each other. We're gonna tear each other down. We're going to create divisions and and subdivisions and more divisions and live our own little segregated lives. People who think and act exactly the same way we do because that's safe. But God doesn't call us to live safe like that. We're safe in him, but he asks us to risk it all in love. He asks us to go that extra mile. But he says he'll give us everything we need in order to do it. So what are some godly steps that we may take today? I think that we should start praying for one another. If you don't pray for each other, if you don't, if you don't pray for, for those that you might find it hard to love and hard to honor, it's going to be really hard to, to, to bring that up because it becomes impossible not to esteem someone and honor someone that is continually in your prayers. I've never prayed for someone continuously and continued to hold animosity or hurt or brokenness towards them because the more I prayed for them, the more I saw them through the lens of Jesus. And I know the same can be true to you, for you today. Find ways of remembering that we are family. Do whatever you need to do to recognize this is family. That Like Jesus, when he, when he told his biological family was looking for him, that he was in a, in a house talking about the gospel, talking about the things of God, and somebody came knocking on the door saying, Jesus, your family's looking for you. And what does he do with the crowd? He says, who is my brother and my sister and my mother and my father? Those that do the will of the father. Those that hear the gospel and respond to it are his brothers and sisters and sisters. So do whatever you need to do. Make up an adoption certificate that says you are now a part of the family. Post, put it on your wall somewhere if you need to that says, look, I'm adopted into the family of God. They're all my brothers and sisters. I can't leave them. I can't forsake them. I can't just excommunicate them. I'm just gonna be with them. They're my family. Doesn't mean they're all coming over for Christmas. But they're my family. Memorize Bible verses that remind you of the value in place other disciples have. That remind you of the way you're supposed to act towards others. Memorize Corinthians, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, chapter on love. Memorize the portion of Scripture on the fruit of the Spirit. The love, the joy, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, self-control. <laughs> I heard that over there. The self-control that's needed in order to show love. When the sinful nature in us wants to rise up and say, well, you can't talk to me that way. And instead we just, God, I just submit it all to you. I submitted it all to you because I would just, I would say the same, I've said snarky responses and I've done the same thing. And so I'm going to choose love in this moment. check yourself before you wreck yourself. Ephesians 2, 4 and 6 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We are only in the position we are in because of who God is and what he has done. We diminish the work of God when we feel like His grace and His mercy are exclusive to us and how we want it to be lit, played out. That's exactly what we're doing when we fail to extend grace and mercy to those that God Himself has already done so. That's a scary place to be when we fail to see the significance of thinking that we know better than God who deserves grace mercy, love, and honor. I understand you may not have had the best home life. Your, your family, it may not have shown love the way it seems like we're talking about today. You may go like, man, I did not see that type of love in my house. I did not grow up with that. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you didn't have that. Not all of us have grown up with a godly example of what it looks like to love. But guess what? You've got a family here. You've got a family that is going to express love imperfectly, but passionately trying to move forward, closing the gap of what it looks, what it looks like to be, be like Jesus. We're going to work through this together. You may... You may need to learn how to love people unconditionally. Maybe some, may something that you've never done before. There's always conditions on the love that you would give. If they treat me this way, if they talk to me this way, if they invite me over or out to restaurants for food, if they do these things, then I'll love them. Maybe you need to learn that. Maybe you need to have God heal you from toxic love and affection that you've received, and you've learned to live that way. You may need to grow in grace as you patiently accept the growth still needed in others who will fail to honor you and outdo you in honor and give you the love that you thought you deserved. It's going to take a lot for us to do this. This may be the toughest place to return love and honor, where none was given to you, when someone here mistreats you and doesn't, doesn't follow through in this, when their reflection of Christ still has a wide gap, and you're, maybe your gap, you feels a little bit narrower, and then that moment, you're like, ah. and God reminds you. He reminds you of the gap between you and him, and you say, it's okay. It's okay. The gap between you and I is in is so small compared to the gap between us and God. I can overlook the gap that's between my hands right now between the gap that's between me and God. I can overlook that. We can grow in grace. But I want us to find again comfort in Jesus who tells us that his grace is sufficient that his mercies are new every day, that his love is everlasting, that he gives grace to the humble, that he promised he would never leave us or forsake us. More so, he promises that if we let him, he will be the strength that we need to reflect his character of love and honor to one another that he has shown us. So be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves.